Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome, everybody. It's uh, it's preview season. We're here. It's started. If you've been on Knowles 24-7, well, if you haven't been on Knowles 24-7, what's wrong with you? If you <laughs> have been on Knowles 24-7, congratulations, because you have been up to the minute with recruiting coverage, team coverage, and all the other great things. Um, yeah, like I started with, it's preview season. If you've been paying attention, Brendan has already dropped three previews. Well, I guess technically four. He dropped the quarterback preview, he's dropped the running back preview, he's dropped the wide receiver, and he slashed it with the tight end preview also. So three, technically four positions covered. Um, and you know what? Anytime Brendan drops a good preview, we feel like we got to jump on the old video, the old YouTube wagon here and uh, put out a little something of our own. So Brendan put out the quarterback preview. We're going to jump into it a little bit with our of the way that we do it in Chris Nee said, hey, man, I want to join in. I want to join in the fun. Chris, how yeah, are you? I, I have to earn the paycheck somehow. I mean, I, <laughs> I got to show up to work at some point, so I'm back. Chris just had a great vacation. He he looks rejuvenated. He looks refreshed. He looks like he's back at it. I want to ask you. I asked you off air. I'm going to ask you again because I think the people need to see Chris Nee smiling and happy. Vacation was great for you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I recharged. I did three weeks. Uh, we do one with my family, one with my wife's family, and then a week where it's just me, my wife, and our boys. And uh, I enjoyed all three, but I very much enjoyed that week where it was just us. We were up in the mountains in North Carolina, had a good old time. It, I, I recharged for the first time in a few years, and I, I desperately needed it. And I, I think it's going to set me up for a really good football season to be completely in-depth with a program that we expect to take a big leap forward. Good, brother. Glad to hear that for you, man. It's, uh, it's well-deserved, been well-earned over the years. It's been a... It's been a shit show around here, but things are finally getting kind of back to where they need to be. Kev, how you doing? You good? I'm doing great. Couldn't be doing better, AB. <laughs> you added any new hats behind you? Uh, no, but I could shuffle them around if that would make it more interesting. <laughs> All right. Enough of the small talk. I'm small talking because it's it's quarterback preview. I mean, everybody knows what this one's going to be about. It's going to be about Jordan Travis, the hopefully and I think legitimate Heisman uh, contender. Um, so let's start there. Brendan wrote a lot of words. He put out a lot of data. That's what Brendan does. Brendan is a word and data just mastermind. He's great at it. But I thought it was interesting. He started his uh, initial article about the quarterback position preview with a question. And that question was, how much more improvement does Jordan Travis have in him? Gentlemen, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Because, um, again, we were talking about it off air. How much improvement does Jordan have left in his game? I'm not going to discount his ability to take a step forward because he's done that progressively throughout his career at FSU. But as we said when we were talking about earlier, I think the thing about him is he's holistically understanding what this offense demands of him. And the offense is also entirely built around him. And now the weapons that surround him have just continually taken a leap forward. That offensive line, great deal of depth, as big as it's been around here in 10 years. And as good as I've felt about a front group in 10 years, Trey Benson's guy should be a thousand yard rusher. And that stable of running backs is very talented. 
wide receiver group returns a great deal with a guy like Johnny Wilson leading the way. But then you add a Keon Coleman, who's a legitimate, really talented number two. He'd be a number one for a lot of teams. And then the tight end group is an area where FSU took a massive step forward in the offseason. We all love Biscuit. He's taken a step forward. Mm-hmm. He's become a better player. But adding a cat like Jaheim Bell really adds mm-hmm. a lot of versatility to the offense. I think it just adds another dimension of what Jordan Travis is going to be able to lean into and do. I think one of the bigger storylines last year versus this coming season for Jordan Travis is last year I felt like he didn't run as much, and it was slightly because the offense was allowed to pass at a higher rate. Mm. They were able to complete stuff down the field. They were more bombastic offense vertically in the passing game. But I think we also know Jordan Travis is still fully capable of being a deadly weapon as a running quarterback. So I'm very interested this year how they kind of balance that with the fact that the offense is going to be so good vertically. How much does it force teams to play off the ball, opening up stuff short that Jordan Travis can take a, uh, advantage of, whether that's throwing two tight ends who now can control in the middle of the field with more effectiveness than FSU has had in recent years, or if it's with JT using his legs. Uh, so do I think he takes a step forward? Yeah, I do. I, I think we'll see him from an efficiency standpoint. I know we're going to touch on this a little bit more. I think he'll improve in all those marks. Do I think he's going to be a drastically better player? No, but I think it's a guy who's going to understand that he has an offense around him where he can do anything and everything he wants to, and that he has a full, firm grasp of what's expected of him. Yeah, I, I think I think framing the question about Jordan is is interesting. That is Jordan Travis going to take a big step forward, or is the offense around Jordan Travis going to take a step forward? Um, th- this is going to be the first season where he's – he and Mike Norvell realistically has had two legitimate number one wide receivers, potentially two or three number one type tight ends. And there's varying degrees of their capabilities, but all three of them, I mean, I think we feel like, and we'll get to that when we get to the tight end preview, all three of them, we feel like are going to be pretty decent sized contributors to this offense. Um, And then you've got an incredible run game behind them. Kevin, I'm going to get to you for your thoughts in a second. I'm a diehard Eagles fan. Jalen Hurts obviously is the quarterback there. I've listened to a lot of uh, – I listen to quite a bit of information about about the Eagles and, and their offense, and it, there's a lot of similarities between the Eagles and Florida State with what they do at quarterback. And um, some different film people ha- I've been listening to this, uh, this offseason have talked about everything that happens with the Philadelphia Eagles happens because of who Jalen Hurts is as a quarterback, sp- specifically who he is as a runner. I think that you have to start with the same conversation with Florida State. The first thing you've got to think about when you think about Jordan Travis is his ability to run. Look at Florida. Florida couldn't stop him from running the football when he needed to, when he felt like he needed to escape the pocket and go get plays. And ultimately, it doomed them in that football game. I think everything starts and stops with Jordan Travis's ability to run the football. And then off of that, the the passing games comes with it. So it's it's interesting. Um, I'm going to apologize if you hear frogs in the background. We've had about eight inches of rain. I know one was just going crazy. Chris already heard it earlier. So if you're frogs squeaking in the background, I apologize. Kev, Chris gave a great holistic approach or, or thought process to, to Jordan Travis and the offense. Are there areas where you feel like JT can improve? I'm going to say game-wise, but also like technically, are there areas where you feel like he can take another step forward? Well, I, I kind of want to agree with Chris. I, I think that there is a component that JT doesn't have to improve for his optics to improve, right? When was the last time you saw an Ohio State quarterback that wasn't in the Heisman conversation? And I don't think that's necessarily because they never have busts at quarterback. 
It's just when talent is around you, it makes you look better as the quarterback. We want to associate wins and losses. We want to associate points scored with quarterbacks. Well, a, a component of that is, you know, you, you take you take a, a mailman and you put him on a talented team and he's invited <laughs> to New York City. Um, so I, I think that you have to, it's, there's a, 10 other people on the field. You have to take those into account. Mm. Um, so th- I think that should be said just to start out with, I, I think that's how you can put confidence that he will, his numbers will get better this year um, straight up. So where can he improve? What, what are, what are we looking at? Um, so I think I'm going to go back to this, the stat page that SIS did. This is his 2022 stats. This is his 2021 stats. Um, really, I want to kind of direct your eyes to a, to a couple of places. The first is this on target rate, 20 plus yards downfield. You can see in 2021, um, he was in the bottom zero to 19th percentile. So it was a bottom, tw- bottom 20 percentile skip forward a year. And now he's in the top 20th percentile. So you can see really where he improved as a passer. Um, mm-hmm. just that giant jump and on target on, on target rate, 20 plus yards downfield. Um, I think that there's not much room for improvement there. I mean, 60%, 57.9%, whatever it is, uh, on target rate downfield is, is, is pretty darn good. Um, but it's going to help to have a second big body. So I don't want to discount what Jordan Travis did between 21 and 22, you have to factor in the fact that he had a six foot seven body to throw to. Mm-hmm. So his yeah. target literally in, increased in size. Like if you made a dartboard twice as big, it's going to be easier to hit the bullseye. Right. So um, there is a factor of that. I, I think both things played into it to go from bottom 20th percentile to top 20th percentile. Um, so that's where he really improved last year. Um I, I think that you could still see some of the, the accuracy improve, especially in the middle of the field. Hopefully having Jaheim Bell there also is, is a big yeah. difference maker. Um, again, on target rate also has to do with the size of targets. So if you're throwing to Jaheim Bell instead of, you know, a Micah Pittman, that could make a difference. Um, but really, uh, I think where Jordan Travis stands apart and where he doesn't get enough conversation is in this bust percentage so everybody looks at jordan and says well he's a big playmaker right you know there's a huge correlation between explosive explosive plays and win percentage so if you can have more explosive plays you win more games jordan travis is in the top 20th percentile 2021 and 22 at making big plays happen but what happened was his bust percentage uh became elite as well in 2022 and i think You'll see that consistently if you look at his highlights and what he does well. Jordan Travis doesn't let plays go negative. Yeah, that's an excellent point. The offense as a whole last year did an excellent job of staying mm-hmm. at the change or playing forward. And, you know, that was a major issue when Mike Norvell and them first got here to mm-hmm. town was that they lived behind the chains, and it's really tough to have success. Your offensive success rate drast- drastically increases as you play in front of the chains or at least stay at the chains. And with Jordan... I mean, you know, every quarterback makes a bad decision on a certain throw here or there that ends up in an interception. Jordan Travis certainly has had a few in his career, but in general, he makes the right decision a drastic amount of the time. And um, so another thing that Brendan kind of hit on, you can read it, is he did 
uh, as a secondary piece to his quarterback preview is why Jordan Travis should have elite efficiency as a passer. And he kind of dived in on past Mike Norvell quarterbacks with Riley Ferguson and Brady mm-hmm. White in comparison to Jordan. And the progression that Jordan has shown every year correlates to the progression that those guys he showed over a two-year span. Obviously, Jordan's had a little bit more of a lifespan with Mike Norvell as his coach than those guys were afforded just because of COVID and everything and how it's right. worked out for him as a quarterback. So the expectation is going into this year where he's really the third year of being a full-time guy in this offense and understanding everything this offense can do for him. The expectation is that those numbers continue to creep up because historically under Mike Norvell, that's always been the case. And there's not a reason to believe Jordan has hit his ceiling or reached a point where he's just not going to progress. I, I, I'm not one in having dealt with Jordan Travis a lot and at one point bet against him because, you know, I had my doubts early in his time at FSU. I'm not one to do that anymore because he's <laughs> consistently been so good at uh-huh. doing that. And he's a kid that from a confidence standpoint, he's just a whole different level than he's ever been in his career. And that's been a constant progression for him as well. But that was noticeable last year that he uh-huh. wholeheartedly felt comfortable with this being his team, his offense, and the burden being upon his shoulders. And, you know, having that under his belt, with the expectations that are going to come for this football team this year, I don't think it's going to impact him in a negative manner. In fact, I think it probably will elevate his game just because I think that's how he's wired. Yeah. I would say it's it's interesting to me. We've not seen a Mike Norvell quarterback in his third year. Um, there's We we know uh, with, with Ferguson and Brady White from year one to year two, there was massive leaps. We saw that with Jordan Travis. In year three for Jordan Travis, it was a massive leap. I'm not sure what we can realistically expect for this next year. There's not a lot of data out there that we're going to find that's going to tell us what quarterbacks have done for Mike Norvell in, in their in their fourth season. Um, I, I'm really anxious to see Jordan, but again, it all is going to come back to uh, Kev. You put, you had the 20 2021 20, uh, numbers up there. Um, yeah. The the plays down the field. We don't need to pull them back up, but the plays down the field. If you recall. And everybody that covers this football team was screaming at the time. They're throwing slot fades to Keyshawn Helton, and everybody loves Keyshawn Helton, and I will never say a bad thing about him, but that's not a winning play for you. Now you're throwing those to – you were throwing them last year to Micah Pittman. You're throwing uh, go routes to Johnny Wilson uh, and Pokey Wilson, who – yeah, Pokey, who was, um, you know, getting solo coverage because Johnny was getting so much attention. In years previously, you're relying on these guys and they're getting double covered and they've got safeties capped over the top. And, you know, Keyshawn was coming off of some serious injuries and and wasn't the biggest, most physical uh, player. Now now you've got real freaks around Jordan and you've surrounded him with real talent. Even going back to last year, the number of drops that Cam McDonald had in the middle of the field when he was wide open, um, those really hindered them at times. And, and, and I would imagine if you – go back and insert those catches into Jordan's numbers. They look even even more astronomical than what they were last year. You bring in some more talent. You bring in some more reliable pieces around Jordan. I think the sky's the limit. I think there's a reason everybody, and I, I think we all agree with this, there's a reason everybody's talking about him as a Heisman, play, a Heisman contender. Kev, you were bringing, bringing a couple of clips up there. I thought what Chris was talking about, that confidence was important. We saw Jordan Travis finish on a different level, in my opinion, this this last year than we saw. There was a time in the middle of the season, and, and Chris, maybe you want to touch on this. There was a time in the middle of the season where people were at were legitimately asking, "What's wrong with the Jordan Travis Mike Norvell relationship?" Um, it looked 
Why it won't he labored. run? Why yeah, won't it, he run was another question it, mark that came up. Yeah. It looked labored um, around that NC State game and, and, and uh, that, you know, that little stretch there. Um, I don't know if you want to touch on that, Chris. I don't think there was. I don't think well, there was ever really anything to it. But I don't think there was either. I think NC State was a bad day at the office, and yeah. not solely for an individual, not Mike Norvell, not Jordan Travis, in general for that team, especially on the offensive side of the ball, especially in the second half of that game. Um, and I just think that's what it was. Like I don't think there was some great rift. I don't think because of how that last play went, that last play was designed to go the way it went and mm-hmm. it didn't succeed and that is that and but that's the way it was called it could have been executed better whatever yeah. that's in the past i don't think there was ever a great rift jordan's an excellent team leader and that's not cliche bs he really is like he's mm-hmm. a guy i kind of call him a chameleon because i think he does an excellent job of fitting in with a lot of different groups immensely impressive relationship with a lot of his receivers trey benson marie smith for example are a few guys on the offensive side of the ball where JT just has a great connection. It's apparent away from the football field as much as on it. No, I, I, I don't have a concern with that. And with the running last year, I think, again, it was by design to uh-huh. a degree of yeah. FSU played for boom plays. FSU's offense is generally designed to be efficient, but also to hit big plays. That's what they're playing to. And I think last year there were instances where they went for the big play and said Jordan maybe tucking, going and taking a few yards because the play was designed to go for said big play. I think the interesting thing this year with the fact that, you know, last year when they dialed up a big play, not all the time, but obviously a majority of the time, it was probably a Johnny Wilson type of play. Once mm-hmm. in a while, Pokey Wilson got in that mix, wheel route to Ja'Kai Douglas. There's other examples, but I'm saying in general, the mm-hmm. basic view of the offense, it's a Johnny Wilson big play offense. I think that connotation is gone. I think you got Johnny Wilson, you got Keon Coleman, you got guys like Jaheim Bell who can attack the middle, guys who have more veteran experience than Ja'Kai Douglas, Lawrence Tofilly, who are capable of being a guy where you dial up a play for them in that manner. I think with that factor that teams are going to be soft coveraging FSU a little bit more often if they can't pressure him, which one would hope they cannot because you have an experienced, talented offensive line that you're expecting to be good. I think with that in mind, that will be interesting how much more Jordan – if he wants to take those yards, yeah. there's going to be more yards there. So I think that's where the running difference is here. I'm not expecting him to suddenly become the rusher he was early in his career again. Right. But I do think he will run the ball more this coming year than he actually ran it this past year. And I think the schedule plays a part in that too. I mean, they, yeah. they were in a lot of games where it just wasn't necessary. And Kev, I want to pull his UF clips up, but I think it's interesting. And Kev, I want your opinion on this. And then Chris, follow up with that. Do you think that this offense this year under Jordan Travis is more not as boom oriented? Do you think that there's a potential for it to be more, just more consistent, more seven, eight play drives instead of one play touchdown shots for 70? Um, Those are going to be there. Obviously those are going to be there. Those are a staple of a Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell offense. But do you think the potential is there for them to be more, the the 20 20 yard 15 25 yard gain consistently over the course of a drive as opposed to a one a two and then a, a 70 or whatever um with the weapons that they have they they lost that pokey wilson that that deep post threat that's gone but johnny's still obviously there keon's not coleman's game's not based on being able to run the post that's not who he is though he is a an explosive vertical player um, you still have some of those threats. You've got a, 
you got a Jaheim Bell who's going to work the middle of the field, maybe from the slot, some of the, some from the tight end position. Um, you, you have those guys. Is there going to be a more con, a more concerted effort to maybe work that fifteen to twenty five yard range of the field more in this offense, or do you think it's just going to be what Mike does? It's going to be explosives. Kev, I want to hear your thoughts first. So, yeah, I think we talk about explosive plays and in, in Mike's vertical offense and. Um, I mean, if you gave me a second to pull up the stats, I I could show you this where they really put their effort into is throwing in that intermediate range. So the Mm -hmm. 10 to 20 yard range, they're not throwing a bunch of like rainbow lollipops, um, (laughs) trying to like just toss it over defenses. They that's what they're going for. Like that 10 to 20 yard range. That's what they're going for. I think those just tend to turn into big plays against teams with lesser competition. I think if if you want to map out what this offense is going to be like, you don't, you can look at the teams that FSU was more talented than last year and how they game plan for that. So when, when they had the talent advantage over Georgia tech over, you know, Louisiana over Duquesne, they were still taking those shots. They were still Mm -hmm. going for explosive plays because that's, that's what they live off of. That's what they want. They want to get the ball in Jaheim Bell's hands, 15 yards downfield. So he just has to make a safety miss a tackle and it's a touchdown. So I, 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 the times where they were patient and they were trying to move the ball methodically, what really comes to mind was Clemson LSU, you know, parts of NC state where it felt like they were a little bit more careful LSU in particular, that game felt like they were having to manufacture ways to get 10, 15 yards and chunk the ball downfield in little ways. There was that one, you know, trick play to, to get a touchdown. But I I think that they're actually going to be more boom um, this year. I think they're going to really be trying to uh, to get those explosive plays up because I think that's their their priority. Yeah, I, I think the truth is that the numbers are going to come more to the middle from both ends. I think there'll be less one-two play type of drives. Mm-hmm. I think there'll also be less double-digit play drives. I think it's more sweet spot of like a six to ten type of range because I do think they're going to be able to not dink and dunk a team, but play them a little bit more underneath, see if something breaks, whether it's in yeah. a running game or a passing game. But they're still going to set up for big plays. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they are going to have any fear of testing the vertical ability of opposing defenses and forcing them to play off the ball and opening the middle of the field because they now have better players to attack the middle of the field with in the passing attack outside yeah. of vertically. They, I'm saying more underneath mm-hmm. short and intermediate passing. They don't technically have the guy vertically who might be as effective in the middle of the field so as, maybe. Your boy, as your boy Pokey. <laughs> Pokey was my boy. I, I was a big fan. I'm, I'll stand on that. I tend to agree with you guys. I think that uh, – they're just going to be able to create so many isolation throws. And that's what Mike Norvell wants to be. He wants to be an ISO thrower. He wants to be able to get guys one-on-one matchups. He is the king of matchups. I mean, it's the offense built for playmakers. Um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of shot plays to be had. And I don't think they're going to maybe look like traditional shot plays, but they're going to be big bodies one-on-one with guys, miss a tackle, break a tackle, make somebody miss whatever go for 70 and that's what it's going to look like this year um this offense really excites me i can't wait for the first game to break that thing down and see what it all is going to look like um i mean uh i think the counterpoint to the the georgia tech and the games that i was just bringing up was boston college where mm -hmm. um 
you know, they did go to a lot more screens. They were able to mm-hmm. manufacture gain throws through shorter manufacture big gains through shorter throws. Um, and I mean, it's because they, they had, they, they wanted to kind of see their athletes in space against a, a kind yeah. of softer coverage. Um, yeah. and so maybe, maybe you will see more of that, like more, more screens, more just trying to get the ball in the hands of these dynamic athletes. There were teams that threatened the run game last year. There were teams that decided they were going to take the run game away with box numbers. Oklahoma did it. Boston College did it. Florida a little bit tried to do it, but they just they they didn't really commit one way or the other. I'm not sure if we're losing Chris here. Looks like maybe he's frozen. Nope. There we go. No, I'm here. <laughs> focus. Good. Sorry, I was, I was intently focused. listening. So the, the Boston College and Oklahoma specifically come to mind for me. In Jordan, OU you in the backside though. Yeah, George, George, Jordan threw for what four hundred plus yards against Oklahoma. Yeah, and, uh, um, Johnny went for two hundred plus, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I mean, and and I think this is getting obviously we're getting derailed a little bit from the quarterback preview yeah. specifically, but it's fun to have this kind of conversation because we don't get to talk with Chris about this stuff all the time, and it's I enjoy it. So um, <laughs> it, it's intriguing to see how they're going to get these matchups, and we know that QB one Jordan Travis can get the ball of these guys in every spot on the field when he needs to, and he's going to make complete control. The other aspect I'm very interested in is about tempo. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they are going to be more tempo-minded with this offense this year, knowing that they've got a drastic talent advantage offensively, in my opinion, against every defense they're going to face? And maybe the defense is going to be, we'll see. I'm, I'm confident the defense is going to be good, but do you think that Jordan, they're going to give Jordan the keys and say, hey, run a sucker as fast as you can? I think they will at times. I, I think yeah. the goal with the offense this year is going to be create be basically confusion, uncomfortableness, and off-balanceness for the opposing defense. Yeah. Kind of putting them in a washing machine. Yeah. Are they going to attack us with the run? Are they going to run straight at us or to the edges? Are they going to go vertical? Are they going to throw to the middle of the field? Are they going to screen this to death and mm-hmm. try to block it up and do things? the offense is capable of doing any and all. And I think the goal for FSU this year is going to be, well, we just gave that to them on this drive. So the next drive we're flipping the script and doing something different. And I think you do that in play calling. I think you do that in the tempo you run with and all of that. One other thing I'm interested in a grand scheme thing with tempo this year is new clock rules, yeah. how much it impacts it. Um, I don't think it will impact it drastically. I do think scoring will come down just slightly. Mm-hmm. But I am interested in those first two, three weeks, especially as officials are uncomfortable with the new rules, mm-hmm. to see how uh, how it all goes. Because, yeah. you know, we're going to have a point where a team's trying to zoom, 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 and then, yeah, yeah uh, we have a clock issue. So we're going to move this forward here a little bit. Kev's going to bring up a couple Florida clips. We didn't want to go too clip-heavy from this because we've done so much on Jordan Travis this offseason. And obviously, we could talk about him for days and days and days because of how talented he is. But just back to the... The A, the Jordan running, and B, the Jordan just taking over a game. In this Florida game, the confidence really stood out to me. He decided that they were not going to lose this game, and he really put this team on their back. Um, in a game that could have gone away from them very quickly and very easily, he put them on the back. He took. He just became a man. I thought this was great. <laughs> he really cemented himself um, as the absolute leader and the absolute alpha of this football team, in my opinion, he is still so fun when he turns vertically up the yeah. field to watch just go. Yeah. I, I always remember the BC game and being like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, like you'd seen him in practice. You knew he was athletic. You knew he could run, but there's something about it in real time where yeah, yeah yards disappear yeah. quickly. 
I still can't with an intent. Can't believe they called him down on both of those intent to slide nonsense. All right, let's move this forward. I don't even want to talk about it because God forbid the young man were to miss some time, but we're going to see him in, in garbage time. Kev, do you have the Heisman pick? Oh, I think he might. Or maybe he's just turning the camera off. I don't know. But we're going to talk about Tate. We're going to take talk about Tate Rotomaker. Tate's here. Is this year four for Tate? I mean, holy moly, feels like he's been here forever. Tate's primary backup number one. We would agree with that. Yeah, wholeheartedly. He's quarterback two for this team. I think what he did, uh, Kev, Kev's so excited right now that we lost him for a moment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what he did at Louisville was extremely beneficial for him as an individual, as a player, and for his standing with the team. And I think he's only built off of that. I think his confidence this past spring versus last year going into the season is night and day. He's really stepped forward in that. I think he's much more comfortable you know, it, it's tough being the backup quarterback mm-hmm. on a team and being a guy that a lot of people discounted before he went and had that success. I yep. think he's a lot more comfortable in his own skin. Not that he ever had doubts about his ability. I just think he understands his standing where he's at and the mm-hmm. belief that the coaches believe in him. And we, we saw this. I mean, Kenny Dillingham, Mike Norvell, what they did with Jordan in a time where he needed support, they were phenomenal at it. And it helped build him up to who and what he is today. Tony Tokars, Mike Norvell, the rest of the offensive staff has done that with Tate, and I definitely think it's taken a hold with Tate. And uh, Tate in the spring was good. He had more good days than he had bad days, and truthfully, it was very lopsided towards good days. He'd still have moments where he made throws where you're like, ah, because he has that arm. There's times where the the belief in the arm is just so great because he does have great shoulder-to-fingertip ability as a passer, and I have no concerns, ultimately, if Tate ended up becoming the quarterback of this team. I think the skill around him would help elevate him. Mm-hmm. I think FSU could become a more run-heavy team if necessary. I think there's ways to pivot and adjust where you can get away with, not to diminish him, but more of a game manager type of yeah. quarterback yeah. than a general that you have in Jordan Travis. It was interesting, the Louisville game. The game plan drastically changed. They went very heavy RPO-based. And Mike's always – they always run a lot of RPOs, but the – it was just a lot of RPO post. It was very, very clean, very simple reads for, for Tate. They got him comfortable. They got him involved after the, a pretty rough end to the first half and some some rather yucky throws. But um, I, Brendan, Brendan posted in the article that you can read on Knowles 24-7. Uh, Tate, Tate ended the year with a 135.3 passer uh, rating, which is, which is pretty average, which I think speaks to the potential to be a good game manager. Kev, give me your thoughts on Tate. A, is he there with you? B, do you have the Heisman pick that we can see? Yeah, I don't. I don't know what Heisman pick you're referencing, but um, it's, Tate is he. I think people misevaluated Tate. So Tate came in as a three star, and for some reason, people expected the reason his three star, the reason he was a three star, was because his ceiling wasn't there. I I, I kind of disagree. I think he's got a good arm. I think that he's more athletic than than you would think. If you go mm-hmm. back and actually watch that Louisville game, there's a, a couple times where he breaks the pocket and glides pretty smoothly down the field. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a kind of four four six guy, um, four seven guy, which is plenty fast to make defenses mm-hmm. to kind of respect you. Uh, if I were a a betting man, I would say he's probably your 2024 starter. I know that's probably not uh, a popular <laughs> opinion, but um, as you see, 
these quarterbacks get better every year under Mike Norvell. I have no reason to believe that that wouldn't happen for guys that are sitting on the bench kind of watching from the side. He's going through the same practices. He's getting the same kind of coaching. Um, yeah, he's got to learn from some game mistakes. And I, I wouldn't expect, I would expect your, your win percentage to go downwards uh, if he were to go in there. But yeah, I think you guys were right. He doesn't need to win football games. Uh, he needs to get the ball to talented players on the outside. And frankly, outside of LSU, maybe Florida and Clemson, I think you can pretty much out talent your whole your whole schedule. And I don't, I don't really know if you need much more than than a game manager. Um, he is he's a different player than Jordan Travis, and Jordan Travis is a is a special mm-hmm. quarterback that, uh, as FSU fans, you should be excited to have. But I I think Tate is a serviceable quarterback, and if you look around the college football landscape, you'll be surprised at the level of quarterback play you normally see from other schools. Uh, not everybody has three Heisman winners in their relatively recent past. It is funny. I had a conversation with a buddy, college football fan, not an FSU fan. And we were talking about backup quarterbacks. And Mm -hmm. he said, if your backup quarterback went into the portal, how appealing would he have been for another program? Tate would have been appealing for a lot of programs. Yeah, I think so. Because the arm talent allows you to do a lot of different things. He is a capable athlete, as you referenced, Kev. And he's a kid that I think has the experience now in the college game that allows him to be a little more calm and cemented in and, capable of handling the good and the bad that comes with playing the position. Biggest thing I want to see from Tate from him this year, presuming JT stays healthy, is when he gets those opportunities, make the most of them. Just consistently yeah. build. It's not go out and just make a big play because you want to get stat not nah, like go and operate the offense, show basically an audition for you know what's going to be a quarterback race after this season. Do you think there will be anything to glean from garbage time reps this year? Do you think it's we're preparing Tate for 2024 as our number one? We're going to get him all of them. Brock Glenn, we're going to get reps to AJ Duffy. We're going to get. Do you think there will be anything? Because I think the first question is going to be if in in week two they're up they're up thirty. God, you know, hopefully, and and it's time to go to the backups. The first time Tate doesn't go out there, you know, as the as the as the number one backup in, in in a garbage time situation, you know I think fans are going to read a ton of stuff into it. Do you think there will be anything to glean from those types of scenarios? Well, saying that scenario plays out, I think in that case with Tate, you know Tate can go into a game situation. He's done it before. I don't think he gets a whole lot of value as just going out there outside of right. in game reps. I think it's far more valuable for AJ Duffy and Brock Glenn. Right. In Duffy's case, it's sort of now or never would at least getting yourself into that mix of battling for a quarterback spot and kind of progressing as a college quarterback. And AJ's got plenty of talent, you know, nice arm, capable of making some really big time throws. Biggest thing for him is just kind of good rep, good rep, good rep, putting that together. He's very much struggled with that and also handling bad moments much better. It's not something he's been particularly effective at so far in his college career and practices of bad moments will derail him, which is a concern, but not uncommon with younger quarterbacks. In Brock's case, it's, you know, welcome to the college game and enjoy your cup of coffee and get an opportunity. I think it would be more valuable in a scenario such as being up four touchdowns on a Southern Miss in the third quarter of the second week of the season at 10.30 p.m. because of an 8.30 kickoff 
<laughs> to get a Brock Glenn or an AJ Duffy out there than a Tate. I think Tate's value is more up two or three touchdowns late third quarter. You're ready to do that, but this game needs to be officially put away. Let him go have those those reps have more value to Tate than to the other guys. Yeah, because I, Tate I is a guy who should lead the competition going into next yeah, year. I agree with you, and I, I'm I was curious your thoughts on that, and you went where I thought you would. It's interesting, though, you brought up A.J. Duffy and you talked about kind of what's going on with him. Let's transition to him. Um, Brendan listed him as it's now or never. Well, I mean, this day and age of quarterbacks, they transfer. Okay. I, it's just the honest truth yep. of it. It's not. I'm not rooting for A.J. Duffy to transfer. I don't expect A.J. Duffy to transfer. It's just the way that position works. Very yeah. few schools are able to carry three guys together for a lengthy period of time without adding a new guy. And, you know, I think it's good for AJ that Brock came in and is pushing him. I think that's valuable for him. I think there were positive moments in the spring because of that. But AJ is a kid who just kind of has to take a step forward. He's in that standard area of the progression of a reserve quarterback who's trying to learn a system and maybe get called into duty, not necessarily this coming season, but the following one as a reserve who needs to start showing, well, he's probably capable of that. And there's throws he makes that certainly says, yes, he is. I think it's more handling the pressure that comes with the position, the ups and downs that comes with the position, and just being able to flush stuff and move on. I think that's the biggest thing. We have. I, interesting thing to me with A.J. Duffy in the spring is when other guys were excelling around him and he was having a rough day, it, it seemed to really weigh on him, kind of bog him down. I, I think you've, at that position, it's just got to be next rep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think that's learned over time too. Uh, in no way do I want people to – run to Twitter and act like AJ Duffy's, you know, <laughs> on his way out of this program right, sure. not very good. It's not true. It's not that. It's more it's it is now or never for AJ Duffy. It's just that position this day and age in college football with the portal. AJ Duffy is a valuable kid who was a highly thought of recruit mm-hmm. who if he was to opt out of the program because for whatever reason it go right this year would have high level suitors. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just the way it that's the natural order of things. So it would be better for FSU to can truly establish a uh, staircase of you know experience yeah, and sure years at every position but certainly mm-hmm. at the quarterback position that's yeah, what it feels saying. there feels like there's a little bit of a to be determined there for him and his game right now um confidence being one of the main things he needs to find he needs, he needs to have confidence in himself not worry about what others are doing kev did you get a chance to watch him this spring yeah i got a fair fair chance to watch aj uh i think he's I think Chris nailed it. He's a, he's a talented kid. He's he's got the the skill sets you're looking for. I think one of the things you're worried about with him right now is he's a little cavalier with the ball. I think he's um, I think he's not afraid to try to do something or, or try to make a play happen or you know like try to shuffle pass out of the backfield or you know just mm-hmm. things like that uh, that. I think can be a catalyst to be a really dynamic quarterback in the future. If it's something that you can hone and develop and get game reps with and kind of use to your advantage. I I do think he could be a little bit of a gamer and I think that could be fun. He really looks up to Jordan Travis. Um, You can see it in just like the way he like follows him around and like he even like tucks his shorts up into his, you know, like the same way that Jordan does. Um, so it's it's just little things you can tell he's trying to model his game after Jordan Travis and I I honestly think he might not be quite as dynamic of an athlete but he's got the he's got the baseline throwing mechanics that are that are better than where Jordan was at sure. this point in his career and so I think I think there's a chance he could 
he could really develop into someone that's that's dynamic and, and a fun quarterback to watch. But it's I think what's hard for him is I think he's a quarterback that needs almost needs to be in a place where he has the freedom to make mistakes and um and learn from them and grow from them. And I'm not sure if he'll have that opportunity with how crowded this quarterback room is starting to get at Florida State. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get to see it. Yeah, he had a day, he had a day early in the spring. I forget specifically when it was, but one of the first five days of spring ball. He was outstanding. Uh he made multiple vertical throws down the sideline onto a spot, attacked the middle of the field, just consistently made the right decision and made good throws. But he also had a few days where decisions weren't very good. A lot of throws weren't very good. That's sort of the picture of who and what he is right now. And it's not unusual for a guy to be that inconsistent. But there were days, and you can go back listen to Mike Morvell interviews from the spring. Mm-hmm. There were days where he did speak up on Duffy, and it wasn't just blown smoke. It was the kid had a good day. He showed the signs of the quarterback he's capable of being. He's got to be more consistent. Pretty standard issue for a guy. I do, and I've thought this since many staff on cameras. I think Brock Glenn arriving here is the best thing to have in A.J. Duffy because Tate, Louisville last year, kind of established where Tate is, and obviously mm-hmm. Jordan is where he is. So A.J. was kind of comfortable living in that third place trophy area now he's got a guy who's going to contest for that yeah uh, aj aj feels a lot like tate in some regards in mm-hmm. that their timelines and that in traditional college football this is young man in year three year four you'd be looking at it pressing into duty and saying he's ready now but we're in a new era and the new era involves the transfer portal and it's just one of those things we're going to find out where his mind is at the end of the season as we go through it and we're all we're all rooting for him certainly um it's interesting though um that i think that the the conversation around aj duffy really starts with his mindset not necessarily his game and the same can be said for brock glenn the the words that the brendan used to describe brock glenn was his poise um i mean so much of what was spoken about the young man was not necessarily about his talent but how he handled himself on the field. Chris, can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it was being thrown upon him first practices. He's in a quarterback room with two guys who are ultra experienced and have game reps and know everything about this offense. And a third guy who had, you know, basically a full season of practices and was in his second spring. So all guys well ahead of him. They weren't slowing it down for Brock Glenn. They were going full steam (laughs) ahead. And he was having to deal with it. He'd make mistakes and have bad moments because, well, it's the first time he's ever done that in a college atmosphere. But the thing they liked about him was the next time he did it, he was always better. Mm -hmm. And he kind of handled it. Like he never – the weight never became too much upon his shoulders to handle what was being demanded of him. I think that's just his demeanor wholeheartedly. He's a kid that I think he's very calm and casual and a high believer in what he's capable of doing. He also – well, he doesn't have a distinct familiarity with the Florida State version of this offense. He does have a familiarity with what Mike Norvell likes to do from his Memphis days, from his high, from Brock's high school days, which have a lot of ties to that Memphis program that Mike yeah. built. So there is a degree of like he is comfortable. But yeah, just in talking to you know people around the program, guys around that room, people that understand that position and how what's demanded of it at FSU. Brock Glenn's a guy that very much impressed him during the spring through 15 practices of just kind of not acting like a freshman at all. And, and Brendan really in the article and the preview that he wrote, I mean, he makes it seem like there's a potential for as the season goes on here that Brock Glenn could surpass everybody, not Jordan Travis, obviously, but 
could surpass Tate, could surpass AJ Duffy both as and become QB two. Um, that would be a, obviously a, a pretty big rise for a player who's not going to have a lot of reps under his belt. Obviously, going into the season, Kev, we we were pretty big fans of him coming out. We we obviously did a scouting report on him that you could go back on the Knowles twenty four seven YouTube channel and watch. Um, you got to watch Brock just like you got to watch AJ and the rest of the quarterbacks this spring. What what were your thoughts? What are your expectations for him in his freshman year? Yeah, uh, Brock has he he has a great pocket presence. He's got a good arm. He's got solid mechanic. Mechanics got good footwork. I, I think he really represents like a, his potential is like the next level of what Brady White was giving at Memphis. Um, I, I don't think he's a guy that's gonna like kill you running the football, but he mm-hmm. he's a guy that. I think is going to be able to deliver the football anywhere on the field. I think he's going to, I think he's already shown that he's, he's reading defenses pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, I think that's kind of the pro and con of him. I I think he, he might be, yeah, I think he might have taken in this offense really quickly and, and you see him making really fast reads for a freshman, um, being able to move on to a second or, or sometimes even third, receiver where maybe some of the older guys might not necessarily be at that point in, in terms of that development as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he does the quarterbacking things well. And I think that will shine through. And um, I mean, as a coach that's that stuck with Brady white, when I'm sure that, you know, he had more athletic <laughs> options. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it kind of shows you that like, that's something they value a guy that they can trust and, um, a guy that is going to make solid decisions and, you know, they want athletes and they want athletic, you know, they want to be able to run the football. And at the end of the day, if that's your offense, you need a guy that can deliver the ball to those athletes. That's their number one job. Yeah. Rule and number so, one and rule number one in the offense is make the right decision. Right. Yeah. You, you can't be an offense built for playmakers and have a guy back there that can't get the ball to the playmakers. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, there's a lot of credibility or a lot of, uh, hello, Captain Obvious. When it comes to you, want a guy that understands your system that can go in there and, and and excel at doing at least the basics of your system. Um, and it seems like that may be where Brock Glenn is going to be at this year on a on a basicer level or a more basic level than maybe a Tate Rotomaker and a Jordan Travis, obviously. Um, but there's a lot to be said that we're ta- having this conversation about AJ Duffy, where he's trying to figure out who he is and where he is, and it seems like Brock Glenn's got the testicular fortitude to come in and say, this is where I am. And I'm curious to see, like Chris said, uh, the best thing that maybe that could have happened for AJ Duffy is Brock Glenn stepping foot on campus. I'm curious to see those two compete this year with one another and where their minds are at in, in the fall. We're at 47 minutes. I don't think anybody's giving you 47 minutes of just straight quarterback talk. Um, <laughs> that's just what we do. I, I can't help it. We're junkies. This is what we love to do. We're going to put a grade on this, though. Brendan, Brendan uh, uh, well, everybody here is read it. He went, what, his confidence was 7 out of 10. I I thought my man came in low, personally. Oh, that was la- oh, that was last year. This year he came oh. in 10 out of 10, right? Oh, did he? Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, he 10 out of 10 it? I thought he went 7 out of 10. My so, bad. No, last year he, he he did a little section, how do, how do we do last year? And I, I would welcome, welcome everybody to please go read that. He had a confidence rating of 7. This year it was ten out of 10. 10, 10 being elite, one being among the worst positions nationally. I won't give away what he said, but he he, he did give it a ten out of ten. 
Kevin, ranking this quarterback room one to ten, ten being the best, one being amongst the worst. Where where do you stand for your confidence level for this quarterback room? I mean, you have Jordan Travis, who I, who I firmly believe is a top five quarterback, maybe top three quarterback in the country. Then you have two four stars that are young bucks, and you have a three star that's has a high ceiling, been around the program for a long time. You know, I'm sure there's other rooms in the country where you could be like top to bottom, they're better. Um, I think that's a handful of teams. Texas comes up yeah, yeah. in that conversation, for example. They're, they feel okay. like an outlier at this point. Old Miss has a lot in that room, so they'd probably yeah. be mentioned. Right, well. but I would take Jordan Travis over whoever's starting for either of those programs next year. Um, I'd agree with that. Yeah, And so, yeah, the depth might not be the same. I would give it a nine. I think uh, <laughs> LSU's room might be better. Uh, you know, there, yeah, there Nussma- might be Nussma- better Nussma- and Daniels are probably... Nussmeyer being better than what we think or potentially being better than what Tate probably is, but Jordan being better than what Jaden Daniels is, is is an interesting comparison. Right. So I'd give it a nine. I I don't know if I'd say it's the best quarterback room in the country, but it's a quarterback room that if you're going to give me the option every year to take, I will take it every single year and never ask a question. Yeah, I'd, I'd fall in at nine. It's pretty tough Mm -hmm. for me to give anything a 10 unless I think it's literally the best in the country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very comfortable with the one. I think FSU's got a better two than a vast majority of schools in the country and a guy that knows what he would be asked to do here. I think the future is bright, both with the two that are behind him mm-hmm. and what's coming down the pike. Yeah, I think I'm at a nine also. I've been sitting here thinking about it. I think there's it would be a 10 for me if we knew for sure Tate didn't have those oh shit moments in him. Yep. <laughs> I think we we saw more than a half of good. I think we know that they still exist. I think we know that they're still in there. They do still exist. And that is enough for me to knock them down to a nine. If those weren't in there, I think it's a, it's a clear cut 10 because I do agree that Jordan Travis is a top five quarterback nationally, not saying he's a top five draft prospect because I know I'm going to get a text from somebody later on saying, how could you say that he is a top five quarterback college quarterback um, for this season. So, So, an interesting side note on what you just said, AB. <laughs> ACC voting obviously is coming up with ACC kickoff. Yep. Does Jordan Travis win first team quarterback, or does Drake May? I think Drake May will because I did too. What his numbers were last year. Yeah, but and the I media the, that's voting for him is more based in an area where he's at versus where the other guys. <laughs> I at. think the three of us sitting here are smart enough to know that that offense is going to be different. Phil mm-hmm. Longo was a big reason why Drake May's numbers were as good as they were. I'm not going to let Kev get on his high horse and rant about this because we've had this conversation. <laughs> it was interesting. David Hale had David Hale did his, he did his rankings yeah. recently. I think he had Drake May first. I believe he had Drake May first over Jordan Travis as far as quarterbacks, but he had the I think he had the Florida State quarterback room as being number one overall in the ACC. Um, you, so Chris, you think Drake May will be one? I do when the league voting comes out. I think it will be Drake May, but it's just an interesting thing because, mm-hmm. like, Jordan Travis is a legitimate Heisman candidate. That's not right. us being an FSU website tooting the horn about the guy. Right. Odd say that currently, but yet he may not be viewed as the best quarterback in the ACC mm-hmm. by the league media. So it's just, 
it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, I expect Jared Verse to be defensive player of the year for example, sure preseason, sure. but I'm just not convinced Jordan will be because I think there'll be a split of that vote. But at the same time, uh, if I'm picking one of those two currently today as a Heisman candidate, I'm taking Jordan. And that's because I think the offense that's going to surround him is better. I think the comfortability, what what the offense demands of him is more well-known than a competitor like Drake May, who's going to have to make a little bit of a transition. There's just a whole lot of little reasons there. I think the world of Drake May, I think he's a really talented cat, but it's just an interesting little side discussion coming up here in the next week. I, uh, I, if I was a better host, I would have had this up in front of me and I'm going to pull this up and I have no clue if this is legitimate or not um, because I don't gamble. I'm curious to see, all right, so on this website, I don't even know what this is. Like I said, I, I don't gamble. So on this on this website, the Heisman Trophy odds. So if Drake May is is number one on the league um, preseason pre- polls, if he's number one, then he should technically be more of a Heisman candidate than Jordan Travis. But Jordan Travis is listed above him as far as odds for Heisman voting. So. I mean, if you go by that, you would think that Jordan Travis should be number one. But yeah, Yeah, I'm curious to see how that plays out. It's a different question. I think you'd be foolish to say that if you're at the New York Jets, you would take Jordan Travis over, Mm -hmm. you know, Drake May. But Drake May's getting a new offensive coordinator. He's lost his number one receiver by far in Josh Downs. Just like we were talking about earlier, how you don't have to be a better quarterback to look better sometimes. Right. You don't have to be a worse quarterback to look worse. And I think he's still going to be a top draft prospect. But, you know, there's there was a quarterback at UNC just a few years ago who going Mm -hmm. into his sophomore year was thought of as one of the top Heisman candidates because he was very talented, who lost a couple of his best playmakers around him and looked way more pedestrian than he had the year before. Yeah. It's a very recent history <laughs> and yeah, with Sam yeah. Howell doing that. And so I don't think he's going to drop off. He didn't lose quite as much talent around him as, as Sam Howell did. I mean, he lost basically his whole offense. But um, I would be surprised because I expect a small step up for Jordan Travis and a small step down for Drake May. And if that happens, that's that's kind of what I'm projecting. So Chris, Chris decided he wanted to do these videos, and now he's 54 minutes into this quarterback preview. We may never see him on a video again. If, I'm you, not if sure. you get me after every vacation, we're gonna, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> we're 55 minutes into a quarterback preview. I promise we will try to keep the others a little bit shorter, but I can't promise anything really. <laughs> for Chris Nee, for Kevin Little, for myself, Coach AB, we're going to call this a night. Please be sure to get over to Knowles 24-7. Is that promo still running, Chris? Yeah, 75% off, yeah. running until the end of the month. Take advantage of it. Uh, it's yeah. around 2 bucks a month is what Dane's had figured out the other night. So we're <laughs> going to stick with that as a belief. It's well worth it. We've had a ton of people take advantage of it. Obviously, mm-hmm. appreciate that. I feel like we deliver outstanding content within the market. I think we're, we've are we got a great variety of how we go about doing the business between podcasts, the video stuff you guys do. Well, you guys do on video. There's nobody else in this market that does it to that level. The recruiting content that we deliver covering, you know, other sports like basketball, baseball, softball. You know, we we bust our backsides, but we do it Mm -hmm. because we have a great deal of subscribers that want us to do that. And we appreciate it, but we're always looking for more. Yeah. So get in there, get signed up if you are not already a member. I know so many of the people that are 
they're all in these different uh, uh, YouTube channels and whatnot. So many of them carry over and they're all s- subscribers. But if you're not a subscriber, please become one. Please be sure you are liking and subscribing to this channel and this video. Get over to the Knowles 24-7 YouTube channel and get on there and like all those videos and subscribe to that channel also. Again, for the three of us for this triumvirate, Trey will probably be back with us next time and it'll be a little bit better hosted. Thank you. That's the quarterback preview. <sighs> Deep breath. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.